Welcome to No Time to Waste, the podcast that inspires and motivates us to maximize our moments. I'm your host, Allison Haddon. I'm battling terminal cancer, but I'm focused on living my best life as my best self every day. Join me as I chat with resilient adventurers, seekers, trailblazers, and exceptionally good humans as we explore what it means to live fully because there's no time to waste for all of us. Hey guys, we're back. I've been trying these last, uh, you know, six weeks to find the balance between maximizing my own moments and building in time to rest and recharge, which is very hard for me since I'm now powered by a sense of urgency to go do all the things all right now, um, fueled by this intense mix of like anxiety and excitement. I'm just going to trust the universe will put the right people in my path. I'll focus on developing great content, telling great stories, and do it at a pace that doesn't cause me to miss life going on around me or wear me down physically. Um, I think I'm probably failing my way to figuring it out, but as I said to Andy Puttycomb a few nights ago, progress, not perfection. So I'm trying to practice what I preach here, so I appreciate all of your support. And stay tuned for our first Active Against Cancer Spotlight at the end of this episode, because Ethan Zahn is going to be interviewing moi, flipping the script. There's so much depth behind the 10,000 kilowatt smile of media mogul Katie Couric. You know, more than just sunshine, she's known tragedy and loss in her personal life and gained some hardcore wisdom and hindsight from those experiences that she and I talk about. After her first husband passed away from colorectal cancer, Katie founded Stand Up to Cancer, which had a significant and measurable impact on the cancer community to the tune of more than half a billion dollars. And I found out she's got a sweet but spicy personality that I personally could banter back and forth with for hours. As you'll hear, uh, Katie successfully derailed me multiple times in the conversation, so don't blame me when we go off course. Enjoy this incredibly real and raw conversation with someone I can now stand by and say is the real deal. Here's Katie Couric for No Time to Waste. Katie, I've been prepping for this for like since the second you said yes. Um, yeah. Allison, you reached out to me on, on uh, did you reach out to me on Instagram? Is that how we made a love connection or no. on Twitter or DM? Wasn't it something? No. No, it was a. You was call a, my people? Did your people call my people? I, I, don't, I don't. Yeah, I don't have any people, and I emailed you. You texted can, me and well, how did you find my my I phone can't, number? I can't tell you that. I didn't find it. It's through people of people of people of people. Oh. I, don't, I don't even know the depths of. I just know that I was presented on a platter this and said, "You might want to try this," and I was like. And then I did, and I texted you. And I wrote you right back, didn't I? It was like literally the seas parted, and I was like, oh, my God. And you were like, hi, Allison. I'd love to be on your podcast. And I was like, ah! I like completely lost my mind. Uh, the first person I texted was my mom because Aww. she's obsessed with you. I know. Oh, your mom hi um, for me. Well, you just did. So. Hi, mom. What's her hi, name? Hi, mom. Her name's Kathy. Hi, Kathy. There's... There's three things that I would love to chat with you about. I would love to talk to you about, yay, grief, super hot topic right now, right? Because even if you haven't been 
um, struck by tragedy, uh, like losing a spouse and losing a sibling like you did, um, or if you haven't been uh, diagnosed with a terminal illness like me, like the whole world is grieving right now, you know, That's and I true. just listened to uh, your podcast last week uh, with Dr. Gordon, um, in which he mm -hmm. addressed like how to heal from trauma as a world. So I'd love to talk about that. I'd love to talk a little bit about your legacy in the cancer community, which is just, uh, incredible, um, how you've used your platform, um, for good, uh, like measurable impact. <laughs> um, and then I'd like to talk about no time to waste because it's about maximizing moments and focusing on the things I talk about, which is gratitude, human connection, and joy. Um, that sounds good. I'm, I'm up for all of it. You're up for all of it. Okay. Um, so yeah, as I said, grief, you know, super hot topic right now for anybody that doesn't know, um, you know, in 1998, uh, Katie lost her first husband, Jay, um, to colorectal cancer in a horrible, uh, rapid, um, you know, nine months from diagnosis to his death. Um, and then, you know, you also lost your sister, Emily, years after that um, to pancreatic cancer. And I've, you know, I've read and listened to so many interviews, uh, Katie, with with you kind of reliving that experience. And I, and I don't want to have you relive any of that. But um, you did no, talk. It's about totally okay. It's totally okay. I, I'm I'm really open to discussing it. You know, Allison, I just handed in my memoir hmm. uh, that's coming out in the fall. So I spent a lot of time thinking about that period of my life and those two losses. And uh, you know, it was uh, it was it was hard, but also I think part part of the healing process. So I feel totally comfortable like talking about any aspect of that experience. I appreciate that. I always want to check with people ahead of time. But, yeah. Um, you talked, and again, this is just what I've read and I've listened to in former and, you know, past interviews, but um, you talked a little bit about some of the regrets that you had, um, at least with Jay in protecting him and not wanting to sort of, uh, bring the dire circumstances to light. Mm -hmm. And you had just talked about how at least at one point you sort of regretted that. Um, is there anything that you did? And you also talked about kind of regretting not asking him what he wanted for your children and, mm -hmm. and not writing things down or, you know, asking if you could videotape him and that sort of thing. Yeah. Um, is there anything years later, once sadly Emily's diagnosis came up, that you look back on and you go, well, I learned some things from that first experience with Jay that I was able to apply to, to Emily. You know, I, I think it, it all comes back to our discomfort talking about, talking about death. Totally. You know, we're terrified of talking about our own mortality, the mortality of other people. Mm -hmm. And I'm actually exploring the possibility of doing a documentary about this, and maybe you'd participate, Allison, because I think as a culture and as a society, we just, you know, avoid it at all costs. And, you know, um, I think there's just such a fine line between hope and, and, and reality. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think other people maybe who have lost 
or had someone they love become seriously or terminally ill, they can relate to this kind of trying to buck them up and not give mm. up hope. And every time we got, you know, the the cancer galloped northward to for Jay, you know, from his liver to his lung to behind his eye to brain mets, mm-hmm. you know, I'd say, we're going to figure it out, you know, like mm-hmm. Mickey Rooney and Mick, <laughs> Mickey Rooney and Judy Garland, like, let's put mm-hmm. on a show. And, um, you know, I feel like it, it, it deprived him of, you know, I think it probably, you know, I can't talk to him about it, uh, but it probably made him feel more isolated in his anxiety, pain, worry. And I think as I write in my upcoming book, I, I did everything in my power to try to help Jay live. And I did, Mm -hmm. there was no stone left unturned. But I wish I had did I had done more to help him die. Mm. And I think that, you know, as a society, it's sort of one of the last, you know, in a in a world where oversharing has become, you know, so commonplace. Mm-hmm. I think talking about death and dying as you've done so incredibly on this podcast and brought it out of the closet. But I still think it's it's one of the last taboos. In, in our society and, and people just do not feel comfortable because it's so scary. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you can talk about that more, you know, much more uh, poignantly than I can. But I think, you know, and I used to say, Allison, I'm less afraid of death as I am of loss. Mm. And, um, and, and, you know, I used to be so worried about my parents if I, would call and they didn't answer. I'd call my neighbors to check on them. You know, it's just, and I really didn't have any loss in my life except for, you know, typical losses like my two grandmothers. I never knew my grandfathers, but, um, you know, I was always, always terrified of it. And it's just kind of ironic that uh, the, the man I married and had two daughters with and loved so much uh, was diagnosed when he was just 41 and our girls were six and two when he died, five and one when he was, when he was diagnosed. So it's just, uh, you know, it's something that really has to be talked about and, and brought out in the open. So, cause you know, we're all terminal. That's what I say, <laughs> yep. you know? I did a TED talk, a TEDx talk. Sorry to be clear. I know. Yeah, I want to. I want to watch your TED talk. Yeah, and it was it, it was called confronting, um, basically confronting death to live a fuller life. I I'd love to talk to you offline, as they say, about your research and some of the things. Uh, you sure. know, and, and see if you'd be willing to participate because I, I was talking to Amanda Klutz, who I've become friendly with and her. I watched her, it yesterday. Yeah. And, and, and her husband, Nick, uh, got COVID and, um, and she was very, very open and out front mm-hmm. about it. And we've just become friends through, you know, because I like to, I try to reach out to other and other, you know, people who have lost a partner, they reach out to me, Allison, and it's. Yeah. It's it's so heartbreaking, but but it's I think can be very helpful to talk to people. Have have you found a big support system among people who are facing a similar diagnosis and prognosis as you? I really, in the first bout of cancer for me, I just wanted to throw it in the back seat 
like have it be the rear view mirror. And the the one thing that did come out of that was people were like, you need to share your story. Like, you know, you're on stage all the time for work. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you should be sharing this story because it's going to help people. And so I started speaking about no time to waste and talking about this philosophy with the thought that cancer was, was uh, you know, just another colorful part of my life story because I have a lot of other colorful parts too before cancer. Um, and I, I turned out, uh, when, um, after the, the Ted talk, and then we found the, the, the brain tumor, the big one, um, no wonder I had some challenges retaining information and I had cognitive processing issues and then a physical decline that was very rapid. And we discovered quickly the cause of that. It's, I would say it's been, and then it's been just like a series of, ugh, bad news every three months with scans. It's just been, it's been bad. Um, to get back to your question of, you know, have I found support? I haven't sought it out. Um, I know that it's there. Um, my challenge now is uh, the people that I do want to connect with who are stage four metastatic terminal are all significantly older than me. Mm. And not to say that I couldn't learn something or no, find I, connection, yeah. but it is more depressing for me to hop on a Zoom of the like thrivers, you know, and uh, there are women who are, you know, 70, 70 plus. Yeah. Um, so, plus, you know, so it sounds like your, your life philosophy, you know, you, as you sort of, um, you know, gave me a preview of this podcast is, is finding joy. And, uh, you know, Thomas Jefferson once said that the earth is for the living mm -hmm. and, uh, the earth belongs to the living. Mm -hmm. And I remember I got a lot of solace from that quote, even though I don't think it had anything to do with, <laughs> with, with loss. Um, I think it, you know, was something else altogether, but I kind of co-opted it and, uh, just, you know, while we're here and while we can, we have to, we have to find joy and, and live like you know, there's no time to waste. Yeah. Everybody. And, you know, it's all about the dash between the date of birth and the date of death, right? It's all about that dash. Yes. And getting back to what you said about initially of, um, trying to bring this conversation to light, making it, <clears throat> Making the conversation of death and dying not be something that is always shrouded in sadness or darkness um, or mourning, but something that we recognize is the only universal inevitability for every single one of us. And Do you if, believe in heaven? Oh my gosh. <laughs> no, we don't have time for that, Katie. Do I believe in heaven? I believe, and part of this quest in talking to so many different people from so many different walks of life um, is me asking that question to them. So I'm going to turn it back on you in a second. Um, mm -hmm. But I have got to believe, and if I'm wrong, I don't think there's a downside. I have got to believe that this, this blip on earth is one chapter in an adventure. And although I can't picture or get validation or confirmation of what happens after, I've got to believe that there's something and that it's going to be awesome and it's going to be different 
and I'm going to see my dog up there and I'm going to see, I'm going to meet Alex Trebek and Kobe Bryant and Chadwick Boseman and RBG. Um, and I'm just, you know, if it's a fairy tale, what's the harm? You know, if it brings me comfort to believe that there's something, there's got to be something. Like when I think about the planets and the moon and the stars and uh, the super moon that we just had and like the fact that we're on like a spinning globe, there's just so much that we can't wrap our little pea brains around. Um, How could I possibly be be so egotistical to think that I could wrap my head around what happens after we die. And I now have talked to, I mean, yesterday I interviewed a death doula and it was just this like incredible experience that she kind of documented every single step spiritually, physically, uh, musically, uh, energetically of her father's passing and, and her walking step-by-step with him through it. Like I've talked to too many people who just remind me, Rabbi Steve Leader. Do you know Rabbi Leader? Yeah, he wanted me to interview him and I just couldn't. Oh, but it sounds like it sounds like he'd be a good person. But don't Jews believe, don't believe in heaven. They believe in kind of um, you know, may his memory be a blessing. And they believe, I thought, that kind of people's essence and spirits live on in the people who are living. Am I right? Uh, that, well, people in the people who are living, uh, you're asking and you're asking someone who's raised Catholic that now is non-denominational <laughs> that is that told Rabbi Leader because he made such a strong pitch for Judaism. So did Aaron Foster um, is who connected me to him. Uh-huh. And uh, I basically am like an honorary Jew, I think. Um, you know, I, I, uh, I think. That's interesting. I, you know, that'd be one hell of a dinner party, by the way. Alex Trebek, Kobe Bryant, RBG. Who else did you say? Chadwick Boseman. Chadwick Boseman. Hey, squad. It's former guest Ethan Zahn here. At the end of today's episode, I'll be interviewing No Time to Waste founder Allison Haddon on behalf of Active Against Cancer to learn how she applies her athlete's mindset to her ongoing cancer battle. So stay tuned. So, okay, getting back to actual topics, actual things that I want to talk to you about. So I um, won't ask any more questions. Thank you. You can save that for your own podcast. Okay. Um, (laughs) Basically, uh, I wanted to, you have admittedly, you you have an admittedly sunny disposition. You've said this Mm -hmm. before. You even said, I want to say, let's see, um, that. Jay even said that you are, uh, that I was born on a sunny day. Yes. That's what I'm, Jay often said I was born on a Sunday day, which I took as a real compliment. And you said here, uh, and this is years ago, but, but that sunniness can also blind you to the suffering of others. Um, there's, you know, a term that is being thrown around a lot right now in like the grief community, which I'm not in the grief community, like no time to waste. Yes. I'm trying to bring, talk of death and dying and grief and mourning into the light so that it becomes normalized so that it can release those that are navigating grief of anything. You know, when you bring the fears to life uh, into the light, like they lose their power. 
you know, and so that's what I'm I'm trying to do. It's not about dying. It's about living. Right. Um, and what I'm there, there is a conversation that's very popular right now around toxic positivity. Mm-hmm. Have you heard people talk about it? I haven't. Tell me, tell me. It, it. And again, I'm like an, I'm like a bystander. Um, that's mm-hmm. just kind of taking all this stuff in, but yeah. it's basically this idea that those that are navigating grief, that response from either their their loved ones or people trying to help when they respond with that sunny disposition with that uh we can do it right like you talked about you know with mm-hmm, Gre- mm-hmm, with mm-hmm. with Jay you know you can do it like it's going to be fine or like we're going to get through this that that is like falling under toxic positivity that people mm-hmm. grieving say is not helpful because you're not sitting in the grief with the person, like wherever yeah. they are. Um, have you found that? I don't that, think that, or? yeah. I mean, I don't think I have toxic positivity in, in dealing with people's grief at all. Yeah. I think probably in dealing with Jay's cancer yeah. to kind of, um, you know, I, it was just such a weird balance. I wanted Jay's, I mean, I knew how bleak the prognosis was. My doctor right. told me as much when he told me his cancer was all over his liver mm. in one of those little patient rooms yeah. or, you know, family rooms at the end of the hall of the hospital. Yeah. So I think, I think partially, um, you know, my husband was unbel- just an unbelievable person, but he could be kind of, uh, I, I think if I was born on a sunny day, he was maybe born a little more on a cloudy day. He could be brooding a little bit and, um, I wanted him, I, I, you know, listen, and this wasn't my decision to make, but, mm-hmm. you know, there were two people, you know, in that car <laughs> and, uh, mm-hmm. but I, I, I wanted him to, to not have the final months of his life be over, you know, consumed by fear and sadness. And, you know, we had two little girls. I wanted him to be able to find joy during the time he had left. And, you know, listen, he might have known what I was up to. <laughs> he might have kind of done this to help me. Yeah, I don't really know. But I think what it did, it robbed us of an opportunity to talk honestly about his wishes, his yeah. dreams, as you said, for our daughters. Um, uh you know, um, I just don't know if I could have handled that. And, um, you know, listen, Jay was a highly intelligent person. If he had wanted to dissuade me of this notion, he could have and said, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, you need to face facts. I mean, when he was very sick, he was still talking about buying a pony for our daughter. So, Hmm. you know, which is so funny, it sounds like, (laughs) uh, but, but, um, you know, I hope, I think it was more avoidance than toxic positivity, honestly, and more of like trying to not take away all hope because I think hope can be kind of so powerful and give you the will to live is a very powerful thing. But um, I think I have a lot of a lot of guilt and a lot of regrets and a lot of questioning that I've 
that I've lived through. And I think it's also complicated my own grieving process, to be honest with you, mm-hmm. wondering, did I, did I do the right thing? Did I, did I help Jay in a way I really could have helped him? I just wasn't equipped, honestly. I was 41 years old. I had a very demanding job, two little girls. I was overwhelmed. And I think it would be great if it would have been really helpful for us to go talk to someone, for us to to talk to a priest. Jay was Catholic, too, or Mm -hmm. a... um, you know, uh, uh, some kind of social worker, therapist. And I think that it's really overwhelming. You know, my nephew, my sister Emily's oldest son, Ray, became an oncologist, hematologist. And, Mm. you know, I talked to him about like, how do you deal, how do you deal with like so much relentless sadness in what you do for a living? And, and, you know, he said, I was with a 38 year old the other day and you know, and there was just nothing more we could do. He had had stage four colon cancer. And I said, how do you, how do you help people, Ray, like that? And he said, sometimes I just sit in the chair with them and cry. You know, I just think that, that, you know, it must be so hard for these doctors. I just, Mm -hmm. um, you know, they're, they are living saints in my book and to be able to help and it's so important. I think, again, if we could be more open, there there could be, I've never heard of a death doula, honestly, but if we could maybe demystify or destigmatize mm-hmm. a, a conversation about death, there could be people who actually are, are trained to help people, to facilitate conversations, to... Mm-hmm to help people really talk about what they want to talk about and not be afraid of, you know, and, and I just think that would be such a gift to families and to couples who are going through what we went through. Yeah. Well, the nice thing is, is, you know, I have gone on this quest and I have found that there are so many resources that are available that I never knew. Um, And I don't just mean, uh, things to read or TED talks or books. Um, yeah. I mean, yes, just as a birth doula is a thing, death doula is a thing as well. And I spoke to Oceana Sawyer yesterday. Can't wait to, um, to get that out to the world, but, um, her job, the job of a death doula is to ensure that the wishes and the wants and needs, not necessarily from a physical or medical standpoint, but from an emotional and spiritual standpoint, that though the dying person's wishes are implemented in those final hours, days leading up to their death. And they essentially guide the family through that process mm-hmm. and let them know you're doing great. Like Allison would have loved this or, okay, it's time to change the music now um, to the spa channel that Allison wants, you know, and yeah. someone that's kind of like the conductor, right, of that person's death. And, you know, and, and that's, I think, f- phenomenal from like a medical standpoint. I think so too, because once my husband said, you know, having cancer, having terminal, he didn't use the word terminal, but he said, this is the loneliest experience in the world. I think it's so lonely. And I think our avoidance of talking about it and helping someone makes it even lonelier. Yeah, And, uh, you know, I, I think that's, that's really, really interesting. I'd love to 
maybe talk to her and sure. I, I'm just starting to do the research for this. Um, but, you know, it's also hard to do it, Allison, in a way that, you know, people are like, oh, that's too depressing. We don't want to watch that, you yeah. know, but um, there has to be a, it. Uh, you know, it's hard not to make it depressing and sad, you know, if you love life and, and, you know, and you feel like there's so many things you want to do and to not be able to do that, how can that not be depressing? It just sucks. It and does suck. I, 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 you know, I got a lot of solace when people would write me, damn cancer or cancer sucks. Right. And they would channel the anger I felt, um, you know, and gosh, we could write a whole book on what not to say to somebody who was sick or somebody like I, I had a woman stop me on the street and like, oh, I heard Jay was in the hospital. It's really bad. And I felt like, oh, great. This has now become gossip for Upper East Side moms. Gross. And I wanted to I wanted to smack her. But it just it felt so invasive and so like it's a grief what, tourist. Like, or like tourist. De- grief tourists or death porn or something. It was just so gross. And, yeah. um, you know, anyway, blah, well, blah, blah. Don't, don't <laughs> blah, blah, blah. We just have a, a couple minutes. I wish. We By the way, you know, when you talked about the, the lemon sized tumor, I talk about the fucking fruit salad of tumors. You know, why is it always a fruit? You know, my most recent scans, my brain has looked, is looking as good as it did in the fall. And I just have a little chest thing I'm dealing with. Um, so, you know, I'm living, I'm living 90 days. I'm living in three month, three month increments, which is bizarre. But um, I'm so glad the scan was, was, I know, I know good. I, this chest thing, cause I have these swollen lymph nodes. We're going to get an early scan, um, in a couple weeks just cause it's a little concerning, but, um, to who do you up, have, who, who helps, who helps you? What do you mean? Who helps me? Do you have? I, I, mean, I have a partner. I have a partner. Okay, um, she's amazing. Um, is that is my that... partner before all the cancer crap? Um, yeah, so she got a raw deal. Um, I have an incredible. She she's you know, she would say I'm doing I'm doing okay. You know, she's um, she's staying busy, and you know we're we're adjusting to this new life of you know moving towards acceptance, I guess, of the situation. And it's really effing hard. Um, it's really, really hard to be um, someone who is independent like me and uh, recognizing that I need help. Um, and I might not need help right now, but I'm going to need help. And what's that look like? And I like, I have my, my shit in order. I like to plan things. I like to control things. So this is just, you know, throwing everything um, up like confetti in the air, except not celebrating. Um, but I am super grateful because I have resources in the form of support with my mm-hmm. incredible family and my incredible group of girlfriends that I've had for 20 years. Um, Where are you, by the way, Allison? I'm in Boulder, Colorado. Oh, wow. I used to be in the Bay Area. Um, and uh-huh. I'm from the East Coast outside Philadelphia originally. Um, but uh, I am grateful that I have resources in the form of support that so many people don't have and oh, that yeah. I worked hard in my career for 20 years. So um, I have some financial security right now that, you know, I, I tried to file for disability. I tried like I, I, right now I'm OK, you know, and um, and I'm, you know, most importantly doing this podcast, which has been like 
soul filling for me. I was going to say, I like, bet it's been so therapeutic. And it's so, been so healing, like so healing probably for so me. healing for so many other people. You know, you're you're providing such a, a service. So thank you for for doing this for sure. other people too. Well, it's you know, I look at the impact that you had. And again, I see similarities in, I'm probably a bit more cynical naturally than you are. I don't know if I was born on a sunny day, um, <laughs> but well, I, uh, I, I'm, I'm plenty cynical. I just, uh, no, and I, you know, and I have very, you know, I think that I'm just, you know, I'm the youngest of four kids. Uh, you know, I just have this big gummy smile. I'm extremely outgoing and curious about people. So mm -hmm. the whole package is kind of, you know, uh, but but it doesn't mean that I that I don't, you know, I think of Bette Midler and Beaches. I'm deep. I'm very deep. Remember <laughs> when she was on that talk show? Yes. But I do, you know, I have, uh, you know, I have the whole spectrum of, of emotions and get very depressed and, uh, you know, can be really, you know, a, an asshole. So cool. it's not like, you know, people yeah. kind of see the, the, the outward facing persona and think, and, and they, they think they know somebody and, and nobody really knows anybody. Um, you know, and I think it's caused me to be kind of, um, put categorized yeah. and, uh, unfairly because I think, I am, I am the multitude. <laughs> yeah. You're like, well, no, you're like, there's so much more to me than that. And yeah, that, it's the same thing when people are like, how do you stay so optimistic? And you're like, you're just so chipper with your situation. And I was like, you're seeing me in this environment right, in this space, yeah, where like you didn't see me like crying last night or not being able to get out of bed a week ago or like, you know, it's hello, this yeah. is like part of the show. And I, yeah. so I get that. I want to be respectful of your time, even if you're not. Um, <laughs> because, but I, I would like I'm getting dirty know, looks from Adriana. I know, um, your legacy in the cancer community, you know, having started stand up to cancer, raising over $600 million, like towards cancer research. I, you know, I, I am trying to take my platform, which is very small. Um, my audience is very small here, but you know, I'm trying to to live that way and say, what can I do? What can I do to help? Because I was like, you know, what am I? I'm going to like help with stand up to cancer. I'm going to help with coma. You're doing it. You're, you're doing it. And you know, I was. You shouldn't. You should maybe write a book about you know. Time. Well, how about if you just maybe, maybe Autumn can help you, um, maybe take some of the, the, the most poignant moments from some of these podcasts, the words of wisdom, mm. and then you could put it in a book, um, mm. right. I'm not saying write a book from scratch. I'm saying, yeah. take, take some of the incredible conversations you've had yeah. and put them on paper because in a fragmented media environment, you know, people get things all kinds of ways. And, um, that might be a really wonderful, well, was, I need to find, yeah, that would be great, Katie. Let me put that on my to-do list. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I would love that. And by the way, no time to waste did start as a book idea. 
And, it did. Uh, then I, yeah. And then I was like, I don't have time for this shit. And this is the medium. Like, this is the medium that I should be on. I, sh- I, I want to yeah. pull out incredible narratives from people who are known, which is helpful. I, you know, that's mainly because you, you're on my list. This is the last thing. So this is the list that sits above my my desk here that when I didn't know if the treatment was working in August and if we were going to be screwed, if I was going to be on a very rapid decline, I wrote because someone asked me on LinkedIn, who are the top people you would want on your podcast? And I was like, I wrote a dream guest I'm looking, post. I'm looking. Okay, I'm I'll, to I'll give you the it. list. Here are the people I've already gotten. And I'm going to cross your name off. Katie Couric, Andy, Putty, Andy Puttycomb who is uh, the voice and founder of Headspace, Nora McInerney, who is incredible and has a very witty take on grief. Um, Topa Watona, who founded Calendly, which is a product that I'm obsessed with. Brene, okay, and Lance Armstrong. So those are the ones I've already gotten. I still have on the list, and I stare at it every day. I see Brene Brown. Brene Brown, Dak Shepard, Liz Gilbert, and Pema Shodron, although Pema's out for the year because she's in retreat. Um, okay, well, I will. Um, I will try to be your booking whore. Oh my gosh, I would love that. I also got added to it. Van Jones got added to it. Uh, Rob Lowe, AOC, and uh, Jonah Hill. Those were those were like the recent ones. But then I also pull out like my dad's been a guest. And, oh, he was like, like people loved him. And like, you know, I've got, as I said, like the death doula, my palliative care nurse, which by the way, everything you described in terms of helping people at the end, palliative care is where it's at. Oh, I agree. I agree. And those people are angels. angels. But, but I, I would want my loved ones. I don't want to burden them, but I would want them to be with me. And how can you do that without like, I think about my daughters will be so crushed, you know, um, when that time comes and I, I don't want them to be so crushed, but I can't imagine like, you know, without my husband, if I predecease him or my daughters or people I love, like hanging out with me when I'm going to the next location. Yeah. (laughs) That's a very like, okay. So if you're doing this documentary, like that's exactly what I mean. We just have to weave in humor and lightness and joy and how to live like there's no time to waste and like go get it like i think if you just have that spin on it it won't be it won't be as uh won't be shrouded in that darkness that people think amen sister if you're a fan of the pod do me a solid just drop a one sentence review on itunes apple podcasts whatever they're calling it now Um, it really helps introduce the podcast to new people And for more motivation or to contact the show, head to notimetowasteproject.com or follow us on Instagram at notimetowasteproject. So obviously you've spent a lot of time interviewing other people for the No Time to Waste podcast, which is fabulous. And I'm so excited that I was honored to be a guest on your show earlier. Um, But yeah, like I said, people want to hear from you. They want to hear about you and your story and your inspiration. So um, let's go back. Let's go old school. Let's go back to the day. Tell me a little bit about your cancer story. Um, Yeah, the short story is, you know, I was diagnosed um, in uh, May, or sorry, September of 2018. Um, I, you know, and I, 
I'm going to kind of frame a lot through the lens of an athlete which mm-hmm. is really one of the two parts of my identity. Uh, you know, an athlete and an executive are the two things that um, I feel like have, have really defined me um, throughout my 40, 40 years. What were you diagnosed with? So I was diagnosed with uh, stage three slash four triple negative breast cancer, um, which, you know, if you had looked at me that day, you know, when I found the lump in my breast, I had just done a probably like an eight mile trail run. Mm-hmm. Um, didn't drink, smoke, do drugs, ate pretty well. Um, so it was a, a huge shock and surprise. Um, I went through 15 months of treatment that first round, which included um, chemo and uh uh, a mastectomy back at Dana-Farber on the East Coast, and then uh, six weeks of radiation. And um, I would say that, you know, those two identities of being an athlete and executive, I really needed to make sure that I kept a pulse on those two things. So I felt like myself and not just like a cancer patient through the process. So um, I worked full time through that. My employer was uh, incredibly understanding and allowed me to sort of lean in and lean out when I needed to. Um, but I also did everything I could to stay active. Hmm. Going from, uh, uh, you know, a really, uh, a really active person, you know, one that has um, kind of dabbled in a ton of different sports and, you know, snowboarding and trail running and you know, I was racing for a couple years and started to get really into that. And then during treatment, it was, you know, in the beginning before the chemo kicked in, it was business as usual, Hmm. you know, and then I started to feel the effects and, um, you know, working out turned into, uh, sometimes just a a jog around the block, sometimes a walk around the Hmm. block. Like it was, uh, it was tough. You know, there are a lot of parallels between being an athlete and a high level executive. And then bring that one step further. I feel there's a lot of parallels between being an athlete and going through cancer. So like, are there any important skills that you feel that you learned as an athlete or even as an executive that you've translated and used in your journey with cancer? Totally. Uh, You know, I think the things that made me an athlete and exec and executive that I think carried me through treatment. And now in this second and I guess final round of cancer, um, I think it would be a couple things, you know, athletes have a grit and resilience mentally and in their spirit of just, you just don't quit. They're the ones that you're going to push down and they're going to get back up again. You know, they're the ones that you say, listen, I know you're like running on fumes, but we only have two miles left. Mm. Like you, we got to get there. I think that grit and resilience, um, you know, that, that stick to and that like, I got to keep going. Mm. I got to keep going. That warrior mindset, um, can benefit any cancer patient in the beginning. Uh, when I was first diagnosed, I started, I I looked at myself as an athlete, right? And I started to Google athlete, cancer, exercise, treatment, athlete, you know, breast cancer, um, retreat, uh, exercise. I mean, 
I, all, all I was looking for. And then I started looking for stories. I started right. looking for people because everything that I Googled was like, you know, I'd, co I'd come up with their target market, which is images of a 65-year-old woman plus. Right. And That's I was always you. like, no, where am I? But I Googled and what I found, I came upon, you know, stories of of people like uh, like Gabe, like Keegan Randall. This stuff gave me hope. You know, finding these stories gave me motivation to keep going. And it also introduced me to Active Against Cancer. And I'm so excited to have formed this partnership with them mm. because Active Against Cancer is all about helping people in treatment continue to stay active or get active for the first time or take a, a former, you know, athlete like me and make sure that I can, I, I can stay moving. You know, when you get to a challenge or a roadblock or like, so what happens at that moment? Because you said athletes have grit. They have resilience. They know how to fail and bounce back the next day. So what was it like when you hit a major challenge in cancer? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, because for the first time, probably, <laughs> I found myself facing a challenge that I couldn't exercise my way out of. Yeah. Uh, something that I couldn't, um, I couldn't avoid, I couldn't control. And even when I was faced with like challenges at work, there was always the trails that were right outside of my office that I could go hit or the treadmill and the gym that was there. Like I could always get my frustration or get my anxiety or work something out in my head through exercise. Mm. And all of a sudden, although I could exercise and I believe that that was important to my mental kind of mindset, I had to realize I the intensity of the exercise that I'm used to, like we just we just moved into like menopausal squishy old lady mode right like even though i'm 38 you know um yeah i mean you touched a little bit on it you said mental you used the word mental not talking about me or yourself but no everyone thinks being a, a good athlete is all about being your physical and your skills but i believe it's just as much mental and i feel cancer is a mental thing just as much as is a physical thing you have to have the ability to mentally um maneuver through discomfort. Yes. Physical discomfort. Good point. Right? And I don't mean necessarily pain, but I just mean discomfort. You have to find the mental tools to detach from your thoughts, right? And be able to um, find some place of kind of peace and centeredness amidst the discomfort. That is beautiful. You're in the middle of chemo. You got a, a podcast. You're hustling left and right. How do you structure your day and your exercise routine within all of this chaos? So for me, I schedule everything. I schedule wellness and fitness and exercise and self-care like I would a meeting. Nice. And it, so it goes in my calendar because if it's in the calendar, I'll do it. If it's not in the calendar and I'm left with a day with an empty schedule, even though I have things to do, it's not happening. Right. Yeah, I always got overwhelmed, you know, like 30 minutes of exercise a day is, you know, recommended. And when I was sick, like I, I could barely get off the couch. So I would often schedule my workout routines. I'd split them up instead of like one 30 minute exercise. You know, right. I do like three 
10 minute exercises throughout the yeah. day. And so like when I felt really defeated, like, oh my God, I can't do this. Or like, I only worked out for 10 minutes. At the end of the day, I look back, I'm like, oh my God, I worked out four times at 10 minutes. So that's okay. And so mentally yeah. that would shift my brain to saying, oh, I had a really lazy day but it wasn't because I actually worked out four times. And so mentally, right. it just made me feel better about myself. I got the workout in. So that was kind of a way I tried to structure my days. I like that. And that's a, and that's what it's about. Like, it's so weird to shift from being performance oriented yes. to remembering why I'm exercising right now. That's huge. As, a, as someone who is in active treatment and will be for the rest of my life, um, I am exercising now for my mental and like emotional and spiritual health. Allison, thank you so much for your time today. You know, everything you said about exercise and cancer was pretty enlightening and uh, congrats on all your success with no time to waste. And I'm so pumped to be part of your awesomeness. And I can't wait to uh, dig into all these other incredible guests we have. And uh, I'll uh, check you later. Awesome. Thanks, Ethan. I, I know uh, I know these segments are in, in good hands and I can't wait to hear the stories you're going to pull out. Kick ass. Thank you. Want to donate to the cause? Support Active Against Cancer's most recent initiative with Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center and help cancer patients stay active throughout treatment with virtual fitness programs. Go to activeagainstcancer.com backslash podcast. That's A-K-T-I-V againstcancer.com backslash podcast to learn more and donate online. Just be sure to put a no time to waste in the comment box. So get out there and maximize your moments and keep crushing it. See you next time.